Welcome to Canadian Crime Chicks. This podcast is intended for mature audiences and contains coarse language. This episode features descriptions of extreme mental illness, murder, dying by suicide, and questionable ice cream choices. If you are not offended or disturbed by any of these topics, you are ready for Canadian Crime Chicks with your hosts, Amber and Brittany. Hey, go hey. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Oh, you know, living the dream. Love it. How was, uh, how was the teacher tonight? Oh, it was pretty good. You know, I've, I've already met his teacher, but I got to meet his principal for the first time and, you know, see some other parents and stuff and also get some free barbecue. So that was pretty exciting. I love that. Um, but they have to barbecue, cheeseburgers, hot dogs. Um, you could get either a burger or a cheeseburger and then they had ice cream. Oh, I love that so and much. The ice cream I had was cotton candy ice cream and that shit is so good. Oh, I see. I think that would just be way too sweet. Mm-mm, it's my favorite. And it was like the pink, purple, and blue kind, which is the best kind. Oh, see, my favorite is tiger. No, that's what? Why? Yeah. Tiger ice cream. Like orange and licorice? No. What's wrong with you? Dude, it's so good. I feel like we should have a, a vote on this. <laughs> okay, we're going to put up a poll of why fucking tiger ice cream is disgusting (laughs) (laughs) which do you prefer cotton candy or tiger (laughs) tigers i just can't no sorry oh it's so good i love it so much no 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 sorry sorry can't help you i'm already decorating for uh for spooky season i started decorating for spooky season in uh the last week of august I love that. (laughs) I just went to the dollar store today and dropped like a ton of money on decor. (laughs) I, I like go to get spooky season decor for like everyday use. Like I don't, like I have, I have stuff all the time, all year round that has like skulls in it and stuff in my house. I don't care. I'm a spooky bitch and I love it. You're the people we love. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have all kinds of spooky bitch stuff all over my house and I love it. I've got like skulls and dead things and I don't even care. I'm a spooky bitch and I love it. I love it. I was actually thinking about pulling out my Christmas tree, but like decorating it for Halloween. They actually have Halloween ornaments now. I know. I saw this and I had a whole conversation with my husband about it. And he said that he's down for it. Oh my God. Yes. If he's down, you have to do it. But like also my Christmas tree is white. So like that might look weird with Halloween decorations on a white tree. So I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But like, I love Halloween. Halloween is my favorite. I love spooky things. I love spider webs. I love skulls. I love it all. I'm just here for it. If your tree's white, though, just get a spider net, black net that goes around your Christmas tree. That's true. I could. I could. And then it won't look so dumb. Like, it'll look really good. Yeah, I saw these like purple lights and I was like, purple lights would be cool. So we'll see. I I have to think about it because I just, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of room for a Christmas tree either. So it's like, it's always in the way when I have it out. Well, that's when you've got to decide something's got to (laughs) go. My husband. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, I'm Brittany. My name's Amber. 
and let's get high and talk about crime. Today, we are talking about the death of June Stewart. This was a very tragic one. I actually, I felt bad for the whole family on this, this one. Yeah. So in June of 2002, June was killed by her second oldest son, Michael. Michael is a person who lives with schizophrenia. And we've talked about this in the past with mentioning Vince Lee, but we've talked about him in a past episode as well. Another a fellow who had mental illness and committed a very violent crime while in the throes of his mental illness because he wasn't taking his medication properly and not not seeking the help that he needed. This was kind of the same case with Michael. Like he found out he had schizophrenia, but he was in denial the whole time. So he didn't want to take his meds. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing. He definitely didn't have control over himself. You know, schizophrenia led directly to what happened he found that you know he was having a lot of issues with joblessness being able to kind of hold any type of job any work he was having trouble keeping an apartment a place to live he was getting into lots of fights with people he was having trouble maintaining relationships and he was in his home the one place that he kind of felt safe with his family and him and his mom were alone together and he went into a psychotic episode and, and killed her. That's super, super sad. When it initially happened, Michael has an older brother and a younger brother and sister. So he was one of four kids and he was raised, his mom was a nurse. His dad was a lawyer. They lived in a really affluent neighborhood in a nice town. His parents were wealthy. People knew who they were. People loved his parents. People respected his parents a lot. He lived just outside of Ottawa. He had a pretty good and respectable upbringing. His dad had a general law practice firm. His mom ran the sexual assault center at a, at a hospital. He had like one of the nicest houses in town. People knew their house. People knew who they were. His parents were really great people. His dad was really high regarded as a good lawyer. His mom was a really, all accounts, really nice lady. She was a little eccentric. People remembered her as being a lady who changed her hair quite frequently and would wear beautiful dresses and high heels. And she would, you know, do different things. And, and she would just, people knew her. People in town knew who she was. And she just had an awesome life. She was a real friendly lady people loved her people knew who she was and she you know was pretty playful and fun loving she also though raised her family with a really strong moral compass her kids knew that they didn't fuck around when mom said not to do something he didn't do it they were they all the kids have said you know we were very loved our parents were awesome to us when we were kids we didn't face any real hardships in life we had a really great life and there was nothing in their upbringing that would have led them to believe that Michael would do this to their mother. One thing that I loved reading about June is that she would mow the lawn in a sundress and heels. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like Legally Blonde. You know how like <laughs> preppy she was, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like she was, it was, it was literally the typical white picket fence family. They were the perfect family. Yeah. And reading about Michael when he was younger also kind of reminded me of Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory about kind of like how he acted. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's tough when your kid is struggling. It's really tough to watch your kids struggle. And like June just kind of made the best of, of what situation she was handed in life. And, you know, when Michael was in high school, he had went on an exchange program. And that's when they started to notice something was off. When he came home from this trip and he said that people were listening to his conversations while he was there and people were spying on him. And they thought, well, maybe it's just because he was away from his family and it's kind of the first time that he had been away and, and all these other things. But then he started kind of withdrawing from the family. He started spending more time by himself. And they thought, well, maybe did he do drugs? Did he get hooked on drugs while he was gone? Did something happen to him? Did something go on while he was away? Like, what could have happened? And they just couldn't figure it out. They started thinking that more and more things were going on with him. And they were starting to pay attention because he would start really changing. His personality changed. He gained some weight. He was very agitated at times. He could be easily confused. He would lash out. He would scream at people. He would just flip out for no reason. But other days, he would just be like walking around like as if he was in a daze. And his eyes were sunken in and he looked really like expressionless. His parents started to get really, really worried. He said something to his dad that scared the absolute shit out of his dad. Oh, I read. Yeah, I remember like kind of being creeped out when I read this. So he went up to his dad and he goes, I think I know what's wrong with this family, he said. Like, kind of like he solved a puzzle or something. And his dad's like, well, what's that, Michael? And Michael replies to his dad, when I'm in the bathroom, do you stand outside the door and read my mind? His dad was horrified. Like, he had no idea what just came over his son. He's like, what are you talking about? No, no idea. No idea. And he just, he would fly into these fits of rage and he would freak out and he would say all these fucking things that just didn't make any sense. Anybody who knows someone who lives with schizophrenia knows that sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It can just not make sense. And it can be really scary. And you don't know, like that person that's experiencing schizophrenia doesn't know what's real and what's not and what's true and what's not. And so it can be really hard. And like living in a trap of your own mind would be really fucking scary. When your family doesn't know how to help you and you don't know how to help yourself and you don't know what's real and who you can trust and who you can't trust, that'd be really fucking scary. Oh, for sure it would be. Like his sister Rebecca woke up one night to find Michael standing at the foot of his parents' bed to be screaming belligerently and calling his mom names and saying the most horrific and horrid names to his mom while his mom was sitting there crying, sitting on the edge of the bed in her pajamas. It's awful. And like... It is. It's so awful. And like, imagine being his mom, hearing these things. That's your baby. You don't want bad things to happen. I would be so upset. Hello, Canadian Crime Chick listeners. It's producer David here to tell you about Buzzsprout. Obviously, you're a fan of podcasts since you're listening to this one right now. I'm sure you listen to some others, and I bet at some point you've thought to yourself, hey, I want to start my own podcast. Well, if you've had that thought, then you need to sign up for Buzzsprout. It is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show will be online and listed on all the major directories within minutes of finishing your recording. 
If you're ready for your own podcast, all you have to do is find a topic. Maybe you just want to do reviews of Canadian crime chicks. Start with some gear you already have in a quiet space and then upload it to Buzzsprout. Just that easy. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening to promote your episodes, and so much more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. There are over a 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their podcasts out into the world, and you should too. Follow the link in our show notes and get yourself a $20 Amazon gift card after two months of using your paid account. So sign up for Buzzsprout and create something great together. And now, back to the episode. He would lose his shit on his mom and his sister and his dad and scream at them, threaten to hurt them and threaten to break all the windows in the house or threaten to flip out or hurt people or hurt himself. The family was really scared about this. They were really worried about him and they just wanted him to get help. And he didn't think that he needed help. And so it was a big, big struggle because when he got diagnosed with schizophrenia, he's like, no, I want to be normal. Well, Michael, you know what? Your brain is different than everyone else's brain and you have to get some help. And he's like, no, I don't accept that. I wouldn't accept his diagnosis and wouldn't get treatment or help. And no, he just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. He said to his dad, like, I want to be normal. I want to have a normal life. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be normal. David, his dad, kind of knew that maybe maybe that wouldn't be the case for him because he was just so unwell and refused to get help. He was in and out of psychiatric care quite a bit during this time, you know, for years between 1998 and 2002. He was in and out of psychiatric hospitals. He was being overseen by psychiatric doctors. And he really wasn't maintaining his health. He wasn't taking his meds properly. He wasn't doing things properly. And he wasn't taking care of himself. On July 3rd, 2002, he, he, he killed his mom. That's very, very sad. And when he finally realized what he did, like when he broke out of his psychosis, he called 911 on himself and said, this is what just happened. Like he didn't, he didn't even realize what was going on when he was doing it because the voices that were in his head were basically telling him to do it and that he shouldn't trust his mom and all these other crazy things. At this point, he wasn't allowed to live independently. He had to live either in the hospital or in the group home. He was kind of involuntarily committed to this mental institution and he actually slipped away from the hospital the staff at the hospital didn't notice he took a cab home and he walked through the back door and he just waited for his mom to come home someone from the hospital phoned his mom and said your son's missing from the hospital and so she went home and found him and he believed that she was taking his energy away from him and that she was trying to hurt him he lost it he couldn't believe it he was really like you said in shock he phoned 911 the police called david at work and said you need to go home michael's killed your wife and he didn't he didn't even drive he ran the three blocks his office was down the road from his house the police found michael's sister rebecca and told her that she needed to call home and she thought finally michael killed himself that's what she thought and she phoned her dad and her dad said no michael killed mom 
And she said her, her whole world went numb. She said, no, that can't be true. You can't, that can't be true. She said it just, it really felt like her life was over at that point. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to forgive him. She didn't know if she could forgive him. She's like, he killed our mom. How can you kill your own mom? She had a lot of really negative thoughts about him. Everybody in the family kind of banded together, except for one of his brothers. Peter. Peter was angry, but John was even more so. John wouldn't forgive him for a little while. John was like, no, I don't know if I can forgive him. He resented him for not taking his you know, illness seriously. He resented him for being unable to take accountability for it at first. He resented him for all of it. Eventually, they realized that this wasn't really Michael that killed their mom. Schizophrenia killed their mom. He was not acting over his own free will. He had violent delusions. He was not able to understand what was going on. He did it because he was scared and he was ill. And they said, you know, when he was going through his trial and things, they started to realize more and more that he didn't do it because he wanted to. He did it because he was scared and he was sick. And so they found him not criminally responsible. And the judge said, just because you're found criminally responsible does not mean you're not morally responsible. And, you know, that really resonated with his family. Michael has decided to get well, take care of himself. He decided that it was finally time for him to start taking his medication and that he was in the wrong the whole time and he regrets everything. He wished he would have taken his medication and listened beforehand, but he was just in denial. Mm -hmm. For him, he lives with that regret for the rest of his life. He's constantly apologizing to his dad and his sister and his whole family about what happened, but they just want to move on. They want to kind of, they don't want to, I don't want to say they want to forget, but they don't want him to feel bad because they have told him many times that they understand and they do forgive him, but they understand it wasn't him. It was the mental illness he suffered from. Exactly. The people that are overseeing Michael's care now are taking big steps to make sure that he doesn't ever reoffend, that he takes his medication properly and that he takes care of himself and that he does what he needs to do in order to stay well. He does a really good job of taking care of himself. He is keeping in a really good routine. He does a lot of things to take care of himself and it's hard for him. He is very apologetic. He feels extreme guilt about this. He knows and he understands that he's going to be medicated for the rest of his life. He lives under really strict conditions imposed by doctors. He is not allowed to consume drugs. He cannot drink. He has to take regular tests to make sure that he's taking his medications. He sees a nurse once a week. He takes care of his mental health. He takes care of his physical health. He tries to have a relationship with his family. He tries very hard to continue his treatments. Be a normal person. And have a life. He tries to move forward with his life. He said, you know, he has to live with what he did for the rest of his life. He tries very hard to keep a strong relationship with his dad and with his siblings. His dad said that he loves him very much and he forgives him. He absolutely unequivocally forgives him. And that's 
I think, the true nature of parents' love. I think it'd be really hard to forgive. It would be very hard to forgive. And you know what? I don't blame Peter for not wanting to forgive right away like Rebecca and his dad did. Because that would make me very upset. You know what I mean? Like, you just killed our mother. And you expect me to be, oh, no, that's fine. That was the disease that did it. Like, no, you're going to be upset for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And they said, like, it did take years for them to rebuild their relationship and feel like a normal family again. And and I'm sure there's still grief and loss and, and all those things mixed in there. And, and it, all of it's really quite terrible. But I'm really glad that they could all find it in their hearts to forgive him. Because I think that it would be even harder for him to live with it knowing that his family doesn't forgive him. Same. I completely agree with that. In 2013, the review board actually said that he is still like a major risk. And they think that if they were to like fully release him on his own, he would do a rapid relapse if he doesn't take his medication. So he's he's monitored very, very regularly mm-hmm. um, to make sure he's taking his medication. And they even said like, it appears to be he appears to be in no rush towards freedom. Like he he really wants to like work on himself and make sure he's fully there before he takes that next step. But he also does say that he, he wants a family, he wants a wife, he wants kids. I think it's natural for everyone to want those things. And I don't blame him. I think most people want that in their lives. I don't think that he, he necessarily is wrong in feeling that way. It's normal to want all those things. And he that's what he wants. He just wants a normal life. And I really hope that someday he can find the peace and, and have that. Me too. That would That would be amazing if he could. Agreed. It's so sad that he has to live with that regret for the rest of his life. And, and I couldn't even just say that. Just that disease for the rest of his life. Like, he's constantly going to be in fear. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Which is very, very sad. Yeah. Not fun. Not a fun way to live. So, you know, with that, I just find this one. This one was really, I found really sad. It is very sad. And you know what I actually just found out? I actually had a family member who was a schizophrenic. Yeah, me too. Everybody refuses to tell me stories because I guess of how bad it was. But all I know is that I had a family member that that was a schizophrenic and it wasn't good. So I feel for the story. I did too. And I didn't really know that family member because he chose to kind of live in solitude because he was very embarrassed about his illness and and it wasn't really understood very well and, and those things. And that just makes me even more sad that he felt he closed himself off to the family because he was embarrassed. And nobody should ever feel embarrassed for their illness. You wouldn't be embarrassed if you had cancer. Well, exactly. Like, it's not your fault you have this type of illness. You didn't ask for it. Yeah, you wouldn't be embarrassed if you have a heart condition. Mental illness has still such a stigma against it. And I just feel so bad for people. And I hope that in our lifetime, we see that destigmatizing nature of it because people need to live their lives and be okay with who they are and and what they live with because it's okay it's okay and there's lots of treatment out there nowadays and there's lots of people living with mental illness and you can have a life that you deserve even if your mind doesn't make you believe that you do a hundred percent did you know sometime in 2023 alberta is going to have a law whereas if you have some type of mental illness you can get uh assisted death yeah yeah i heard about that it's like that's not cool not just in alberta it's like in canada 
Oh, really? I thought it was just in Alberta. Yeah, medically assisted dying is like, uh, they've expanded the rules federally for it. And I know they were talking about it in Saskatchewan too. And it's one of those things that, you know, maybe we should just spend more money on mental health and mental health services instead of allowing people to end their lives because they can't get the help that they need. That is so sad. There has to be some type of thing you have to jump through in order to get approved for that. You can't just be like, eh, I'm depressed today. I don't want to live anymore. You know what I mean? Like you can't, it has to be like more than just like that one day to get approved for that. Does that make sense? You know, I know that it does take a bit, but still it's like you should be able to access care and you should be able to get the help that you need and the help that you want. And it just, there isn't, it, it's healthcare in Canada is just not as great sometimes in certain aspects than it could be. I agree with that. I just get so frustrated by it because it's like it should be should be easier to get help than it is. It is. And you know what? Yeah, okay, it's free and all, but the service is shit. <laughs> like, I, like, I remember going into the Emerge one time and I was having chest pains. Like, it was, it was really hurting it to breathe or whatever. And I went in complaining like I had chest pains, thinking I would get in right away. I sat there for two hours and this guy comes in like maybe 30 minutes after I came in. Same thing, chest pains. And he got in right away. I'm like, how is that fair? I don't really understand how it happens. Because like I went to the hospital with chest pains one time and they saw me right away. Like there, I got in right away. So I don't know. I don't know how they pick it. And it's just very interesting to me to see how, how it is and how triage and everything works. I don't really understand a whole lot about it. Neither do I. But it really frustrated me because I'm like, man, I was here before him with the same thing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, nurses know more than I do. So I'm going to assume that mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a reason, but I don't know what that reason is. Thanks for listening, everyone. And that's the story of the death of June Stewart. I hope you have a good day. Also, don't forget to vote. Cotton candy or tiger, let us know. Yes, vote. All of the voting. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Canadian Crime Chicks. Click the link in our show notes and sign up for a paid account with Buzzsprout for a $20 Amazon gift card. Follow at CanCrimeChicks on Twitter to vote on polls. This week's poll, Cotton Candy or Tiger Tail Ice Cream. Follow at Canadian Crime Chicks on Instagram to hear about future episodes and see pictures from previous episodes. If you have a crime you want to hear about or a crime you want to talk about, email CanadianCrimeChicks at gmail.com. Spread the word about Canadian Crime Chicks. Rate and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Music is Anxiety by Kai Angle. Produced by David Johnson. New episodes, Saturdays.